I love the description of God in one particular psalm. You may be thinking about Psalm 23 or Psalm 100, but the psalm that I've got in my mind right at the moment is Psalm 103, and I want to read a portion of this for us today. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, So the Lord has compassion for those who fear him, for he knows how we are made. He remembers that we are dust. Forgiveness is woven throughout this passage. In fact, forgiveness is written into the very heart of the gospel, which is very apparent in this passage that we have heard this morning whenever only a few people show up for worship I will often hear someone quote Jesus in saying wherever two or three are gathered in my name there will I be also and I do not doubt that that is the case because I too believe that wherever we are gathered as God's people, that God will be present if we are present to him, if we seek to be present to him. But Jesus wasn't referencing the size of our gatherings when he said that he would be present wherever two or three are gathered. That little quote is taken willy-nilly right out of the scripture and usually out of context because what Jesus is speaking of there is how does the church handle its own conflict? How do Christians love each other? And in that context, Jesus has just given instruction to his disciples That if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. But if a member listens to you, you've regained that one. 
But if you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If the offender refuses to listen even to the church, and listen to this, listen to this. Let such one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, over the centuries, there were very good-meaning people in church hierarchy that read those words as good reason to simply excommunicate those who did not fit in round here. Get rid of those who thought differently, who offended you. And yet, I want to suggest that this is a misappropriation of what Jesus was intending. For I ask you the question this morning, how is it that Jesus treated Gentiles? And tax collectors, you know the answer to that question. Jesus was relentless. In fact, there is no doubt that his life was snuffed because of the way in which he welcomed sinners and spent time with them. When Peter hears this wondering of thought, he begins to think to himself, okay, so how many times should we be forgiving people? Because that was what was inherent in his understanding of what Jesus had said. Should we forgive them seven times, Peter said. And here in this passage, Jesus responds, and in some translations it says 70 times, in some it says 7 times 70. But you get the point. Forgiveness is a part of life. For Jesus, and for those who follow Jesus, that this is not something that is a sideline venture. But it is at the core of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. In Jesus' inaugural address, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, he shares instruction about prayer. Do you remember that? When you were praying, he says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Do not think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows when you need what you need before you even ask. And so pray in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know this. You, you spoke these words just a few moments ago. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. And we say, what? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
That's Jesus putting words in our mouth and asking us to allow our lives to reflect what he believes is central to the act of loving the world. Here in this translation, it says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Most of us understand the pressure of debt, don't we? (laughs) We don't have to have a show of hands at that point. I can read it in your eyes. Most of us understand the pressure of debt. Car loans, mortgages, medical bills, credit card debt. Debt can be crippling. It can control life. I talked with someone just recently who shared with me that they knew that it was unlikely that they were going to be able to pay off their student loans before they retired. Of course, we make choices, but there is also a systemic nature to this. This culture that we allow to set up the parameters of this equation that perpetuates the debt for those who already have so little and erases the debt, which really wasn't there to begin with, for those that already have so much. Jesus understood that culture. He knew that people make bad choices. And they head into this land of debt by things that they could have managed differently. But he knew too that this imperial domination, this mentality had been a part of the culture of Israel since far beyond anybody living could have possibly remembered. For there in that culture they had been ruled by everybody who wanted to be in control. The Greeks, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and finally in the day of Jesus, the Romans. You talk about a domination. And so Jesus moves out of this conversation with his disciples, talking about forgiveness, into this very provocative story that is simple and yet has so many layers of meaning if we will simply listen. He says that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. For there was one slave who had racked up a debt 
of 10,000 talents. Now, when Jesus spoke those words, everyone who was within listening and hearing what he was about to tell would have chuckled to themselves because it was an unheard of debt. You cannot rack up 10,000 talents in the company store. This fella had racked up a debt equal to that which would have taken 2,000 lifetimes to make. Can you imagine a debt like that? Well, they couldn't either. Such a huge enormity of debt that no one could ever imagine either getting to that place in life or getting out of that place in life. You remember the parable that Jesus told about the talents to one servant. He gave five talents in that parable to another two, to another one, you know, the one that had just one talent, hid it away and thought he was doing the right thing. Those talents were worth enormous amounts of money. This king decided to get what he could out of that servant who owed 10,000 talents. And when the man realized what was going on, that he was going to be sold into slavery, that his wife and his children were going to be sold into slavery for the entirety of their lives, he fell to his knees. The man begged. Oh, the man begged with every ounce of who he was. There was no way that he could set things right, but he fell on his knees before this king. And oh, how he begged, how he poured out his heart, how he pleaded before the king. How he placed his life before the king. And out of pity, at the spectacle before him, this king forgave the debt. Incredible. Simply wiped the slate clean. Nothing would happen. Of course, the king knew there was no getting anything out of this man anyway. It was all gone. So punishing him would have had little impact. But the king pardoned, pardoned this man. And it changed everything in his life. You would think. But reality is that the world doesn't work that way. You remember that this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of earth. The intrigue of this provocative story continues as the man just leaving the king's palace seizes a debtor who owed him money. Which amounted to about 
a little less, actually. And yet, he grabbed the man by the neck and was in the process of having him thrown into prison because that man would not repay. <coughs> this is the very epitome of the kingdom of the world. Even though his debts were forgiven, he was not forgiving his debtors. If we truly pray for the kingdom of heaven to come on this earth as it is in heaven, we must live differently in this culture of domination. This culture into which we were born. When word gets back to the king, things get dicey. As his mood changes, and he begins the process of torturing this little scoundrel who thought that he could get away with still participating in the dominion of the world. On the one hand, it's important that we not make this parable into some kind of allegory, sort of an Alice in Wonderland approach where there is this secret political nature to each figure, each character in the story. It gets very dangerous because God can come out looking pretty bad here if we allow ourselves to allegorize this parable. On the other hand, I want to advise caution, <clears throat> which is something that I think that we tend to do at softening the edges of this parable. I want to advise caution that in doing so, we remove the punch. The punch of what Jesus was seeking to communicate. Jesus is really clear about this forgiveness thing from the very beginning. Also in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke these words. Do you remember? He said, if you do not forgive, your Father will not forgive you. That almost doesn't sound like God. At least not the God that Jesus portrays. The God who advises us not to forgive seven times, but to forgive seven times seventy, to continue to forgive. But see, the problem is that you and I don't take forgiveness as seriously as God takes it. We are called to be a part of a different kingdom. You and I, we must make the decision to buy in 
to the kingdom of heaven rather than living in the dominion that we have received. Jesus gave his life to remove the insidious cancer of unforgiveness in this world. Would we receive his forgiveness and not give it fully to others? I remember my uncle Woody who lived out his early life in Adrian, Georgia, but spent most of his life over in Swainsboro. He was the owner and operator of a clothing store there called Dolores and Woody's. And one of the things that I learned, an insider understanding of Uncle Woody was that especially for, for Methodist preachers, if you went to shop at Dolores and Woody's, he would give you discount on top of discount. Now, I, I got even the family discount on top of that. But it was incredible. He would, he would let you rack up quite a tab at his store and give you all the time you wanted to, to come back and to pay it. But it was always smaller than you expected when you showed back up. Now, for everybody, wasn't that the case? But, but he had a generous soul. And Uncle Woody would go out at least once a month and visit his customers who had tabs that continued on a little too long. And he would simply drive up into their yards. He didn't have a long, fancy car. He just, a simple man, would drive up in their yards and he would get out and they would meet him before, before he got to their front doorsteps. And, and they would say to him, well, hey, Uncle Woody. Everybody called him Uncle Woody, you know. And so he would engage them in kind conversation and finally simply say, now I'm going to need you to pay a little bit on this purchase that you've made. And often he would hear, we're going to pay, I'm going to pay you, going to pay you on that. It's coming. And yet I know that probably very little of it did. That may be one reason that Dolores and Woody's is no longer functioning in, in Swainsboro today. But I, I can tell you this, that my Uncle Woody totally got this forgiveness thing. It was a part of his DNA. It was a part of his fabric of living that he wasn't about dominating anyone. In fact, to do so would been, have been an affront, not so much it would have been a concern to him, to the person that owed the debt. Uncle Woody would have said, oh, no, 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 no. The affront would have been to God himself. 
That's a choice that we make. How we live in this world. When we receive Christ's forgiveness, the only acceptable response is to live as an example of that good news. Would you agree?